When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and you're listening to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mental health and life. In this episode, I continue the dialogue on race and mental health, but this time focusing on race, motherhood, and mental health. To help me with this discussion, I interview my good friend, Latanya Coleman-Carter, who is a powerful and incredibly intelligent African-American woman, mother, and mathematician. We discuss her experience as an African-American mom and woman in the U.S. today, how to talk about race with children, why African-American women's voices are often overlooked, how education perpetuates racism, and what we can do to change this how we can begin to dismantle structural racism, how to use neuroplasticity to begin deconstructing racism on all levels, and so much more. Latanya, I'm so excited to have you in the studio with me today. This means the world to me. Not only are you a very special friend to our family, but our daughters are inseparable. They're like best friends and they're like, they're literally inseparable. I mean, it was so cool because we had Soraya staying with us over, literally over the COVID quarantine for those like almost eight weeks. And now Lexi's staying with you. And I mean, it's just so wonderful that they're so bonded and such great friends. And you've just been an amazing friend to our whole family. My kids love you. We all love you. So thank you for coming on the show today to talk about such an important topic. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I, To be honest, it's quite amazing, the circle of life. I've known so much about you for so long and before they were even friends. And so it's really quite an honor for you to even have me on your show. So thank you so much for everything you've done for me in the past and just knowing what your work does. I think it's an amazing thing and I appreciate you for having me today. Oh, it's it's my honor. Thank you so much. Well, before we begin, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, just tell my viewers and listeners a little bit about who you are. I mean, they know you're my friend and our daughters are friends and our family are friends, but you know who you are. You, you're a very accomplished woman and you've got a great story to tell. Okay, sure. I, by trade, a professor of mathematics. I've taught at the collegiate level as well as like high school, lower middle school level as well. But when I moved to California, I did not secure a job and became a tutor of mathematics, which actually I really, really like because I get that one-on-one experience with students that really impacts them. Otherwise, outside of my career, I am a mom. I have a blended family of seven. There are four boys and three girls. The oldest will be turning 22 next Tuesday. Bye. My youngest is six, all ranging in personalities and experiences. They homeschool. Before COVID-19, I actually homeschooled my son. And then I had two that were still in public school that I, that I send out to a public school each. 
because everyone's different. They, we've chosen what's best for each one of our children. Wonderful. Um, mostly I'm a mom these days and an advocate for people who are needing help in any facet in terms of learning about education. Education is truly my passion at this point. So that's what I do. It's amazing. Well, you just recently wrote a powerful blog that we put up on our blog page, and I strongly recommend everyone reads that, um, Latanya Carter, and you can pick that up on our blog. We'll put the link in the show notes. And, you know, it's touched a lot of people. It's touched my heart. And I just would love you to, and you had a very good, it was a conversation you had with my daughter, Dominique, and, you know, the two of you are also very good friends. Can you talk about what you wrote and, you know, why you titled it, I don't want to write, I want to riot. It was very powerful. Well, I actually really appreciate, I need to say that I appreciate Dom's ability to, first of all, to be the person that she is that would allow me to be comfortable to say what I said to her. I did not realize that our conversation was a blog. Um, and it's really quite interesting because when she asked me to do it, my initial thought, I mean, number one, I, it never crossed my mind to say no. It, it, it's something I'm passionate about. I have information about. In a normal situation, I would say normal situation, these things have been going on for a really long time. And I I mean, I've been a Black woman my whole life, and I'm a Black woman of mathematics from the South. I'm from Arkansas. And it was not an easy task to attend an Arkansas school and try to get a master's of math education as a Black woman. So these are not new issues for me. However, for some reason, this particular thing affected me differently. And I'm, I wasn't sure why, but I, I knew that I wanted to do this thing. I knew I wanted to write for Dom. I knew I wanted to write. For, I knew I needed to have my voice be heard. And so my initial thought was, absolutely. Yes, of course. And then I, I ended that text message and I just didn't know where to start writing. I was so angry. I was so mad. And I had, I, I probably my biggest mistake was that I watched the video. I don't, not even sure why I watched the video. I, I, I I probably shouldn't have. It felt like something I can never unsee. And it just affected me in ways that I'd never really experienced emotionally, spiritually. I mean, there were so many things that happened with inside my body that I couldn't write, you know? And I was like, I, I want to do this for you, but I'm struggling, you know? And then I was like, you know what? I just need some time. Yeah, I can do this. I'm strong. I'm educated. I'm prepared for this. This is who I am. You know, I've made my whole being to be this person that you call when you this. go to bed, Tanya, just go to bed, calm down. You'll come up with the words. And then I wake up the next morning. It's like, I'm still angry. Why am I still angry? And I could not really just get it to settle in. Like, maybe I shouldn't try to do that. Maybe I am part of the problem as well. Like maybe I allow myself to not be angry about things that I really should be angry. Maybe I'm, there are things inside of me that I'm not releasing, you know? And so I decided I didn't want to not be angry. You know, I've performed, I've been on a stage for a really long time as a black woman in mathematics. I've constantly had to defend my position. I mean, I remember walking into some of my first college classes and the kids, I mean, I have tattoos all over my body and hair was shaved and I just, you know, I had this little mohawk and I was always being questioned, could I do this job? Like, none of the had ever looked like me before, you know? So these experiences, but it was just like, I was tired. I didn't, I didn't want to defend it anymore. I didn't want to talk about it in some articulate way that made everyone comfortable because I wasn't comfortable. 
And I wasn't wanting to suppress that anymore. And I was able to just have that conversation. At the time, it was really interesting because I didn't, of course, we didn't know that that would be the blog. And as I wrote it and she responded, her response was even more like helpful to the facts. And just the experience of having that conversation with her was like, after it was all over, it was like, wait, I think this is the conversation. I this is what here. And her reaction was absolutely like, I don't know. It was all so good that at the end of it, I, I con- which was of course amazing to I contact her back. I said, you know what I'm thinking? What are your thoughts on me just having this be our blog? And she was like, yeah, it was just good. It was wonderful. Perfect. It was perfect. It was honest. It was raw. It was exactly how you felt. And I think that is what we're supposed to be listening to. This is what listening to each other is. It's not putting on a show. It's not trying to convince someone else. It's actually tell, telling your experience. You know, and I think that's why I think that that's such a powerful conversation. And I'm very glad we did capture it like that. I really am. It was, I, I think that you make a very good point there that it was the rawness of it. It was the not sitting and trying to make it comfortable because we should all be uncomfortable right now. And I think the most, the realest thing is sharing those experiences and then those experiences being heard. I think that one of the hardest things that I've experienced through this process of like a lifelong life of being a black woman is that oftentimes I can tell a white friend and they'll go, oh, you know, they probably didn't mean that. Or they'll justify it in some way that makes me feel like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I shouldn't. Say, maybe it was me. Maybe, you know, I'll come up with all these things in my head for myself because I've been invalidated so much. But it's, it's I think that the main, you know, when people ask, what can I do? Listen to your Black friend. Listen to what they're saying. These things are real. I don't want these things to be true. Why would I make them up? I have no desire to create us. I have enough chaos anyway. Like, why would I create something that's not true? So I think it's really important for my white friends to hear me and to believe me. It's really hard, I think, for people to have empathy for something they haven't experienced. And so it's, I think it takes a really big person to be able to say, I believe you. I understand, even though I can never understand. No. Oh, totally. I get that totally. That, that You know, for someone not to validate your experience and for you to have to justify and for you, you know, I'm just hearing you saying from a child in Arkansas in the South and having to justify everything about you, you know, you had to justify yourself for years and then walking in as a professor, you brilliant woman and you're a mathematician and, you know, that's not an easy feat for anyone and, and yet you were questioned and, and then you get to this point and you're still questioned and then you've got white friends telling you, to, oh, they didn't mean that, you know, the justification, the defensiveness, the, you know, not wanting to be comfortable, the, the, the desire for complacency, it's enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not enough. It's just, it's enough that we have to listen. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I think that one of the, I like hearing you say that you have to listen. I mean, and try it. I, I think a lot of times when people talk about privilege and white privilege, it's, it's a really hard thing, I think, for them to hear you say, because privilege sounds like this thing that they're getting that may be tangible. A lot of times when I mention white, someone will say, oh, well, I'm not any richer than you. And I'm, I'm I really want them to understand that white privilege doesn't have to do with money. It has with your ability to not have to think about or not to experience them, but to just have to learn about it. That's a privilege. 
Your only responsibility is to learn about racism. You're never going to have, I'm not asking you to experience, you're not going to experience racism. That is privilege. You know, there's so many, I, I remember when I was moving to my, my, my last apartment and I was just, you know, shopping around and I saw this one apartment that was so perfect. I mean, I loved everything about the apartment. I knew when I drove up to the apartment that I wasn't going to get it, but I didn't want to waste the guy's time. And so I went in and I checked it out. I absolutely loved everything about it. I mean, I would, if I could pick that unit up and take it somewhere else, I would. And so I come out and he goes, what do you think? And I was like, oh my God, I love it. It's best. Whoever made this did the best with like laying it out and all this. And he's like, oh great. You want an application? And I said, no. He goes, well, why not? I said, because it's right behind the police station. He said, that's a great thing. That's a, that's a plus. I said, I have a black son. And he still was like, but that's good. I'm like, no, <laughs> I literally can't choose their apartment because my black son could walk out of the house and die on the fact that he could be mistaken as someone else. He just wanted to walk to the corner store and get a bag of Skittles. Like, that's the kind of life I have to live as a mom. The privilege is to never have to have that conversation with anyone ever. The white privilege is you could choose that apartment and your brain doesn't even have to go there. Mm-mm. We can't understand that. There would never be a fact in our equation. So that's something that, you know, we can't, you can never understand someone else's experience. You can never be an expert on someone else's experience. All you can do is try and understand that pain. And even then, can we ever understand that? And that is, you know, the way you've explained white privilege now, thank you. That is absolutely brilliant. That's a perfect example for us to understand. It's not about money. It's about the most basic decisions about where you live, the choices you make about where to live. You know, you talk about Genesis when you had to tell her to put her mask on in the park the other day. You know, that when I read that, I thought, wow. You know, I tell my kids to put their mask on because it's, you know, it's like that's what you do. you've got to do. You've got to be a responsible citizen. It's protecting others. It's not about you. It's about protecting others, you know, and we, whatever. And th- that was those reasons. You didn't even have that reason in your mind. Talk about Genesis. Yeah, it was really, I remember driving off from the park. We were, we were, it was three moms dropping their kids off at a park to have a picnic. They hadn't seen each other since COVID and they were just going to have a picnic. And it was hot this day. And they were literally like, why did we pick the hottest day to go to a picnic? And she's like, I don't want to put this mask on outside. And I'm like, well, you're outside. And, you know, and I'm thinking more about the science part of it. You know, if you're outside and the air is blowing and these things, and, you know, you probably say not many people around. We picked it like there was a park that there weren't any people. And I was like, but you need to take this mask with you. And she's like, well, I'm not putting it on. What? Because if a cop drives by and ask you to put the mask on, you need to put it on. And Genesis has a tendency to question, which is something that is accepted in my house. We do not give instruction like that. We, we're really open. You can ask a question. I make suggestions. I tell you things I've experienced. And I say, you know, I don't think it's a good idea. And here are the reasons. This information. Do with that information what you like. So my kids are, I mean, she's 15. And I give her that freedom. Like, here's what I think but you can do what you want with that. And so I don't normally give like hard instructions, right? But this day I was like, if they come over to you, do not do what you do to me and question why I have to put the mask on or why do I have to do this thing? Why? And I, I know that I've given you that ability, but now I'm asking you to put that in your pocket 
and just say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And you put the mask on. I said, I really would love it if you made it home to me today. I, I don't want to leave you thinking I might never see you again because you didn't put your mask on, you know, hostile or, I mean, especially as a black girl, there's so many. And I think I say this, I get called angry black woman a lot. It's just a stereotypical thing. And, you know, the thing is, is the truth is I am. I am. I think for a long time I was trying really hard to go against that stereotype and not be an angry black woman, because no matter what I said or what level or tone I said it in, I was always called the angry mom, the mad mom, the black mom, you know, the one. And I never raised my voice. I don't, there's nothing that I do typically that would cause you to call me angry. However, words come out of my mouth. And if they are against anything you said, it will be angry. And Genesis has that. I think Soraya does too, honestly. They speak their minds, they're vocal, and any of that comes across as angry. And I just feel like if she had said, why do you want me to put this on or anything, it would have been considered hostile and it would have taken her down. I just, and I just don't want to run that risk. You know what I mean? It's really, it's a hard pill to swallow. You know, as a, as a mom of four, it just, you know, I'm, I'm listening and I'm, and, and I feel sick. I mean, to think that you've got to do that kind of thing. I mean, we all, obviously you're all kind of like wary of a policeman because of just what's happened in, in, I remember coming to the United States from South Africa and thinking, wow, they're scary. The police in America are so scary. And I know they've got a job to fulfill and everything, but that doesn't even begin to, to relate to the experience that you have just described. Like your, your thing is you, you don't want to not see her. That's what you're living with. That is white privilege. We can't understand that. You know, we We'll tell our kids to put on a mask for a different reason. And then that's what we've got to understand as, as white privileges. It's not that we're not saying that you don't have problems if you're white. Obviously, everyone has problems. That's what I, my whole work is around helping people with mental health and dealing with life and coping with life. But when you've got this added factor on top of just the normal challenges of life, there's this factor that shouldn't be a factor that is a very real factor that's affecting us in this modern technological era where we're so advanced, yet we're so backward. So you, you have to be worried about telling your child that and that you, you know, I've brought up my kids to think too. I mean, you know, Alexi and Dominique and, and Jeffrey and, and Jessica, we, we, they, they, they also question, but I don't have to worry about that. What you have to worry about, and that is white privilege. That's the white privilege that I'm sitting with, and I need to be uncomfortable with that. I need to look at that. And it's only I teach all the time, as you know, Tanya, that, that I teach the whole my whole concept of, of brain research and the mind and mental health is we've got to embrace, process, and reconceptualize. And the embracing makes you uncomfortable. And that is the challenge I'm putting out to everyone listening today to what Tanya's saying, is you've got to embrace what you're hearing and get uncomfortable. Because it's only when you get uncomfortable that you it means that you consciously aware of something that may not be right, that, that you may be invalidating someone else's experience. You know, don't go say to Latanya something like, oh, you know what, most of the policemen are going to be fine. The chances of that happening, that's invalidating your experience. And that's white privilege to even think about saying something like that, isn't it? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of times people say, well, what can I do? What can I do? the number one step is to recognize that there is a problem because there's nothing to do past that, you know, and recognizing it beyond just the few people, you know, there's so many times that I've been in a situation where I am the black, the black friend in that, but they separate me from the other black people. And they'll say things like, but not you, you know, they'll, they'll make a statement about black people and go, but not you. Oh, I'm like, oh, I'm very much black and 
I don't know why I often get separated from the black part of that. And I, I think that doing things like that and not seeing us as a, a group and or things like saying, I don't see color. You know, I really need you to see my color because number one, my color is one of my favorite things about myself. But I, I know that that's a narrative that's been kind of put into society as a whole, because even for myself, I remember trying really hard to be less black. I remember having to not sound black, you know, sound less black, especially if like a bill collector or someone was going to call you or some professional, if there was an interview opportunity, try not to let them know over the phone that you're black. You know, these are the types of things I was taught to do, you know, make them only find out when you show up. And, you know, so things like, Give your kids less black names. Now, this is how I, you know, I really hate that my kids don't have extremely black or African names, honestly. But th- that's because during the time of having kids, I was definitely in the mindset of if they have a resume that has to go out into the world, I don't want the resume to reflect their name and color because I don't want them to get held up at the resume process. I want you to cho- not choose me because you didn't like what I said at the interview or something like that. But if if their name was I don't know, some stereotypical black name, then maybe they wouldn't even pick me because of that. Even when I was looking for jobs here, my therapist actually said at one point, you know, she asked me to see my resume and she's like, your resume itself is awesome. Like, what would, I cannot imagine what would be the problem. So she said, do you mind if I show it to my boss? She showed it to her boss. My next session, she comes and she says, my boss and I were thinking the only thing we can think of that could be causing you not to get jobs is maybe your name. Now, mind you, I didn't think my name was very black at all. <laughs> I had no idea. And she goes, well, it's the la in front of it that makes me question whether or not it's about that. I don't even know how to process what you've just said. Look, she's like, just take off the la and just maybe go with Tanya and then see what happens. I went home and I did it because I thought maybe she's right. And I mean, <sighs> I need a job. So whatever it takes at this point. So I was like, I'll do it. But about two weeks went by and I thought, I don't want that to be the case. Put the love back on my name. And if you're choosing not to hire me because I'm black, probably don't need to be at your place anyway. So, you know, but those are, when I say like the everyday life of a black woman, and then to try and really hard to make sure that, you know, I don't, that I'm informing my kids in a way that's different from the way I was informed because everything about the way I grew up was like, become less black, figure out how to be less black, talk like this, do this, go to these schools, take these classes, perform like this, get an education. Education is the number one thing. If you can do this, you'll succeed. You'll be successful. I'm not doing that to my kids. It reminds me of someone I interviewed recently who went through a very tough time in the church, Jen Hatmaker, I don't know if you know of her, but she explained so beautifully about the fact that she was living this perfect so-called life that the church expected, but there was a room at the back of her head and that was her true self. And she actually had to suppress herself in order to be accepted. And I'm hearing you saying this and I'm saying that we are forcing, she said she couldn't do it anymore. She said that it was chaining her, it was destroying her, you know, in, in science, from the scientific perspective, 
that creates cognitive dissonance that who you really are, which is who you really are, which is the biggest part of you. Consciously, you make this decision to actually deny who you are. That creates cognitive dissonance. That creates brain damage. That creates damage in your body. And then we, you know, it's susceptibility to, to illness. I mean, the, the, the downstream is unbelievable. And, and she made a comment that she just had enough of living in the back room, pushing, not living in the back. And she decided that wasn't going to be the truth. It would, no matter what the cost, the truth has to come forward. And as you're explaining that, it just struck me that that is a good analogy. We, we, you can't live like that. You can't live in the back room. You know, and that's what you're saying. Your whole, I don't think people, that's another great example of white privilege. That from the time of choosing your child's names, you're planning how not to be black in order to be accepted by a racist regime. You know, that's something we can't understand. We choose a name for our children because we like that name. You choosing a name for a child because it may impact their future. They may have this bias against them because of their name. You get told to take the la off your name. That's your identity. Latanya is your name. And you're being told to suppress your identity. That's what we need to understand. Well, the craziest part to me is that that story was 2019. You know, people will say these things are old and this doesn't exist. No, she told me that in 2019. Yeah, this was last year. If there's one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of, it's magnesium. Magnesium is a great mineral for helping reduce anxiety and stress because it plays a major role in calming the nervous system and magnesium can aid in improving brain function. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about a new magnesium product I've been taking now and one I really love called Magnesium Breakthrough from BioOptimizers. Go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash leaf and use the coupon code DrLeaf10 to save up to 40% off select packages to get the most full spectrum and effective magnesium product ever. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. You know, I think that realizing that the small injustices are huge, I think, you know, if those things are seen really small, but I think it comes down to having a staff that is diverse. The person in the hiring staff is probably white and has, you know, doesn't have, I think it needs to be groups of people deciding things like this. You know, how, how do companies end up putting out some racist type of commercial or, you know, marketing? Well, it's probably because there's not a black person able. Each table has to have a diverse group of people because I think black people at the table go, oh, don't do that. You know, don't send that out. That would be offensive. But if the, the table of the marketers are all white, then there's no what there's no one. There's no checks and balances. There's no one saying, you know, that's probably not a good idea. That would probably offend, offend this group of people or that group of people. There needs to be a lot more diversity in businesses and things like that. And I think that that's what they try to do when they come up with the like, hey, you need to have at least one of this. You know, I think there's some laws and things like that that have been created. But if we could just realize that as a group of people, as humans, then I think we could push these things a little bit further. I think that the more isolated we are from the smaller issues, if it only takes some big issue like George Floyd for us to see something, instead of seeing that my name is a problem for me, and, and just all of these really small things that add up to the bigger piece, because my name being a problem for someone is the exact same reason George Floyd could be dead. You know, they go hand in hand. And so if we can really start really small 
and try to figure out where we have those biases within ourselves. Because like I said, I remember, you know, with my therapy, it was a lot of unschooling, unlearning, and then really just deciding what parts of me that were created that I wanted to keep and which parts of me I wanted to let go. So much of who I am was given to me. I was told to be. And the more I went through the shedding process of that and really discovering who I was, it allowed me to say things like, I am LaTanya. I am a Black woman. I do have an education, but my education is not who I am, you know? And so I think the, the more we all can see, see the color, it is important to see the color, the injustices of the color, then we can grow as a group of people to a place where some of these things start to even out. And you know, I think it's to jump way as high. Like we all want a prosecution of the situation right now. Yes. And that as a single person far away from the incident itself, what can I do? It's the small things, these small injustices, recognize the biases, educate yourself, understand that, try to let go of name biases and things like that. Like be around some people that are having these experiences, listen to them and see if you can understand or at least hear it so that when it comes up, you can have that conversation with your white friends. Do you know what I mean? That is excellent. I mean, just that the name itself, you know, if you look at the research in general on people battling with who they are, it's identities at the core. It's one of the fundamental, as a therapist, when people would, when I was still practicing clinically, people would come in, one of the first things I had to work with was people's identity. It's, it's at the core. You know, Nelson Mandela, when he was on Robben Island, one of the first things that they did with the prisoners there was to remove their identity, put them in the same uniforms, take away their ID card, you know, take away their, you are nothing. And as soon as that, you know, that I, I, for 25 years, one of the things that both myself and my husband, Mac, you know, Mac, obviously, he built houses after the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, he built houses for the injustice that had occurred in apartheid. And I would go in and work in the schools for three days a week. I'd work in all the, I'd go to the community centers in the schools and work in helping them to, you know, just learning emotional management and things like that. And I saw firsthand the effects of a racially unjust system. And it was was devastating for 25 years to see that daily. I would go from schools where a thousand people sometimes would turn up just to learn how to learn because they knew that education was so vital, how to manage the emotional trauma, etc. And it would break my heart because I'd go into schools where there were a hundred kids, one chalkboard, one textbook for a hundred kids. That's And then I'd go and work in a school in the next day in the white areas and I couldn't reconcile. I thought this is just, so I saw firsthand and that doesn't make, I don't still don't understand your pain, but I saw the effects of a racially unjust system. And it's 2020, it's still occurring. Everywhere, you know, and, and, and that, that recognition of, I mean, just the fact that I think your name, just, just that taking the la out your name, taking that identity away from someone, that is where we need to start. We, we, we're not, rec- when people say, I don't see color, they think they're saying the right thing, but it's the absolute worst thing because you're taking away someone's identity. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know how to express the pain that, that you are experiencing, except to say that I, I empathize 
and I hope I can learn to understand and never ever do anything except to support and to help change this conversation. And it does mean we have to look at our non-conscious mind because socially it's been ingrained for hundreds and hundreds of years and it's in our DNA and that's science. Epigenetically, it's this, this, these thoughts. Like like you said, oh, you're not, your friend said, oh, you're not like those black people. Those black people, what do they mean? What non-conscious mindset has been in their DNA for how many generations that they didn't even know was there, that they've actually expressed thinking they're supporting you, but they actually insulted you. Yeah. That's what we have to understand. It's because that us, the people that have said things like that, I think they are well, I know them. And I think that they really are well-intentioned. And so I lot of me wants to check your intention you know, first. And I think that that's a good space, but it does have to go beyond that. I like that you brought up the education piece because to be honest, I think that it's so ingrained in our American education system. It actually teaches you to be racist. I know mostly, I, I think I always knew, but I homeschool my son. And I, so now I get to actually see the curriculum. It's more than just homework and, you know, what comes home type of situation. I see I'm given a a curriculum as the parent teacher to teach to my son. And I read this stuff and I'm like, I am not going to tell my son that I'm going to give him the true story of Christopher Columbus. I'm going to give him the true story about what happened. So my six-year-olds know, like it it was, it wasn't Thanksgiving. It was a massacre. I mean, you cannot teach things like white savior complex is a real thing. They, They really believe that they come in and save us. And so it's created in the textbooks. I mean, and the education system itself is a really highly lobbied, like the education system. I think it's like a billion dollar industry. There are actual lobbyists that go in and fight for, that's probably why it's mostly important to vote for your lower level representatives and things like that, where, you know, we can change the education system. But they are, they literally teach my kids how to not like themselves as black people. The only narrative we get in history in public school is that slavery and that, you know, this bad things about us. We don't, if they bring up someone, if they bring up Martin Luther King, who was the peaceful person in the black, you know, if we, if we talk about black people, they don't give us a lot of our history. They don't, they don't give us a lot of information about, but it's all about how wonderful it is to be white, how white people did all these wonderful things. There's the history of even my kindergartner, the first year we did homeschool, she was in kindergarten and I could hear white supremacy in the history that they were teaching my six-year-old. And so it's ingrained in you for 12 years. They don't change the information. We, I, I, there would be days when I was homeschooling the kindergartner and the third grader on the same day, they would have history and they were talking about the same thing, which means every year they're going to give them that same information. And it becomes such a part of you. And it's like, you don't see your picture. You don't see pictures of black people in your history book. You don't see pictures of black people in any of your books, really. And so if education is the most important thing in America, and that's what everyone will tell you, get your education, mandatory. I have my kids to school. And then everything you see in that education is not you. Your brain does not think that that's, oh, because you're better or great or you're okay or you're good. It thinks, what's wrong with me? So immediately there's an identity crisis, right, from kindergarten. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not doing it at home, if you're not doing the work as a parent, as a black person at home, 
I think my kids get a lot of it because I'm aware. I'm very much aware we, there's a lot of document. We talk about the issues. It's really important. I realize now that it's important that I give them the information. Soraya made a very good point yesterday. Is that we went to the protest in Brooklyn the day before here in my city by my house. There was a protest that turned riot, turned, I'm not sure what all was happening, looting. There was things going on outside of my home. And we could see it from my home. And we, which made us a part of it. And my youngest, she's sick and she felt scared, you know, and I needed to find words to comfort her fear, but to let her know that, I mean, because I wanted to go down and help the people. I went down and I allowed them to come into my building and things like that. The thing about it is the truth of the matter is I know that not all of the people protesting are looters. I know all the people protesting are rioting. I know that for sure because I'm a protester. I didn't loot. I don't, that's not sufficient. So we went down to help and it made her afraid. And at first I wanted to shield her from that. And I wanted to protect her, her brain from having to go through a process of trying to be okay with things that maybe at a six years old, you're not supposed to have to be okay with. But then the truth is, it's all over everywhere. She's on TikTok and all the social media. She's just a kid, but that stuff is showing up. And if I don't give her the information, that narrative will come from someone else and they will tell their story and she needs to have it for me. It's no different from the history book telling you their version of what happened, that they're not giving the version of what's happening. And that same thing is happening now. You have all social media and, you know, you really have to protect your kids and you feel like that's like not telling them, but more than likely it's not. It's telling them your version, making sure that it comes from you and not someone else, because if it comes from them, how do you guard their opinion and their part of it? You know? No, that's such a valid point. But then you know, that brings up, goes to the whole concept of education, the whole, it needs to be re-looked at. You know, the history books need to be rewritten. There needs to be a, a whole, that it edu- as you say, it's those steps right from then that has to change. Well, maybe I'm thinking, maybe you just tell the whole story. Like Tell the whole story, add in what's missing. Keep what's there then, but add in what's missing and, and make sure that the perspective is not just one-sided because that's what it is. And as you say, it's 12 years of so by, by the time a child leaves school, the identity is so compromised. There's this, well, what's wrong with me? You know, my son-in-law, Justin, you know, Justin and Jeffrey, Justin was saying that he, he actually wanted to go and have plastic surgery to change himself. You know, I'm thinking that, that that's what a system has done to a person because he grew up in a, in a going to, to prevent schools and whatever and it's so-called white privilege you know and that's just so distorted and as you say unless you know from a scientific perspective Tanya what we see from the brain research is that all thoughts thoughts are concepts so racism is a concept it's a thought and then it's it's this huge big tree with millions of branches and it's got all these interlinks so we have these thoughts all of everything experience becomes these thoughts and they're in our non-conscious mind which is our spiritual nature the biggest part of us is 99% but we also have a physical structure in the brain so our thoughts are stored in in, in multiple places on a non-conscious quantum level and then on a structural level in our brain. So here's the point is that you can have years of now this 12 years of a child, what you went through, being told that 
through the story of the history book, through the story of the narrative of being educated in this seemingly nice way, you built this structure into your brain of there's something wrong with me, where your identity was compromised, but that didn't make sense. There was cognitive dissonance. There was conflict. So, and then these things happen over time, one thing after another, cumulatively bursting out in George Floyd, for example, which is our most current example. And then that that makes, you know, you, you, you don't need to apologize for your anger, as Dominique said, because that thought of those years of being, of your identity being compromised has now come into the conscious mind. It's been coming in and out all along. What my point here is that this is a real thing. The thought's a real thing. Once you're conscious of it, now you can change it. So by us having these discussions, we're talking about your identity, the structure in your brain and your non-conscious mind that now is in the conscious mind. So once something's conscious, we can change it. And this is why awareness and conversations like this, we can't stop this after this week. We have to continue this. This is an ongoing conversation. It's now in our conscious mind. Brain research shows that you don't change something until you're conscious. So that little tree, when you're conscious of it, it becomes malleable, like my hands are shaking. It can be changed. When it's in the non-conscious, it's firm and fixed and it's driving the white privilege. It's driving my identity crisis. It's driving this fear. But when I'm here, I can talk about it. This is the identity. They took away my, told me to take away the love from my name. They told me to, now it's malleable. Now we can change it. So in us talking about these things, we are bringing into the conscious mind something that can now be changed. If we don't talk about this, keep talking about this, keep having the peaceful protest, keep talking about constructive ways of changing education, changing the police system, changing these things, and not just talk, do. We've got to keep it in our conscious mind to make these changes. These things will go back and will explode again because the explosions, the rights that we're seeing, the anger that you're feeling, it's righteous anger. You're feeling righteous anger, the anger that Jesus felt when he tipped over the table in the temple. It's righteous anger saying that this can no longer happen. We have to change this. You know, so we need to take our righteous anger and channel that energy into changes. And we need to group together and we can, we can come together as humans and be decent humans and start doing it. But we can't push it down. We can't make this go away. We have to keep it in the conscious mind. Yeah, I think that's probably one of my biggest fears right now is that everyone is in a state of wanting to know what to do, what to do. It feels very you know, especially when you think about COVID-19 just really still being here. It's like, no one's talking about it, though. Like, it, it, when something else can happen right now that would cause us to all stop talking about this. That's the fear. We can't stop. We have to keep talking about COVID-19. We have to keep talking about racism. And the race, the conversation needs to be up there all the time. Yeah. So I don't know how we keep it in that space because... Like I said, it's not really a new issue. Uh, it, it hasn't really ever gone anywhere, but somehow we're we're hyper aware. I don't know if it's because of COVID nineteen that and like the because these this isn't you know there's so many Trayvon Martin there there's so many things that happened before George Floyd exactly that didn't have the, quite the same impact. And I could, even for myself, like I said, I, I think my initial, I was like, why did this do something more to me than it normally does? You know, and I think, but everyone is in that same space right now. It seems like people are asking more questions and wanting more answers. So something did definitely happen this time, but I really am like you hoping that this does not just fizzle out. It's a fight that I could like, I've been fighting. It's, it's really interesting because Sometimes I get really tired because I, I do have a lot of black kids and they go, they've all been in the public school system and there are individual fights. I fight 
yearly for my children. A, a spot in our, I remember Soraya was always pretty advanced in education. And so we, we've been pushing for a long time. And, and me being an educator, I knew exactly what she needed to do to, to be a science major and to do things like that. So we were always taking classes. I think in sixth grade, she took algebra one. And I, the next year, wanted her to take geometry. I mean, that's the natural in Arkansas, that's how it goes. The lady said, no, she had to take algebra one again. And I said, but why? We did it last year and she got an A. And that's because that's what seventh graders do. They seventh graders take algebra one. And I was like, well, we're not going to do that. I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me. And I just, I, I didn't, I really, and I know the school we were at was pretty racist. That school was a charter school that was actually built to segregate. Like it was a school made, but I, but, and here's the weirdest thing about it for me is like, I knew that and chose to go there. I chose to go there because if you segregate yourself to be away from black people, then you're probably giving the white kids there something that you didn't want the black kids to have. So I purposefully took my kid there to gain access to information. It's awful, but it's what we had to do to get it. See, that's another thing. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's another example of white privilege. People don't understand that. And what you've just said is you purposely put your child in quite quite a threatening situation where you knew you would have to be, there would be issues, but because you knew if it was segregated, there's something that your Soraya would have got at that school that she wouldn't have got at another school. No, but, and you know, what's crazy about even saying that is that my mom did the same thing for me, which is how I knew to do it. So this has been going on for years. Like this is, again, it's not a new, it's not a new thing. It's what we have to do to get education or, and, you know, but it's, 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 it's a constant thing. I still fight those fights with Genesis. I mean, and it's not as, I think it's a little bit different being in California versus Arkansas. Arkansas was still the South and it was experiencing things that I don't necessarily experience in California, but there are some, I mean, I've been the angry black mom already since I've been here. And it's, it's always just because I, I defend my children. I, I am on their side. I'm their team. If you're not going to be their team, who is? Right. Exactly. I remember when I had my first child, my professor saying to me, if you're not on your child's team, and every mother's on their child's team, but it really means something different Oh yeah. for a white and a black person. It's a very different thing. Because I'm angry. And justifiably so. Yeah, you don't have to, like like Dominique said, you do not have to apologize for that anger because that anger is a justifiable anger. Why Why do you have to have your child's identity compromised? Why do you have to take la out of Latanya? No, absolutely. I know I keep wishing, like, all of my kids have very, like, Brandon and, you know, like, Brooklyn. I guess Brooklyn could be me. It's just like, I, I know for sure I was trying to create an idea that, I kind of, I think I just regret trying to be less black all those years, but I'm glad that the world is, I feel like changing in some sense because awareness for myself, but I think it's an age thing. Cause I remember thinking at one point when I was trying to decide about writing the article, I was like, what, what, what's happening with me that I'm so feeling this way? Is it my age? Maybe I think you know, I was like, maybe I've been doing this so long that I'm just tired, you know, and I'm, I'm exhausted from having to talk about it still. It seems unbelievable that in 2020, we still have to have this same conversation, you know, and I don't know if it feels sometimes like it doesn't matter, like it won't go away. I don't know how to make it 
go away, but I want it to go away because I still have kids. I have a vested interest. There's a reason that I need this to disappear. I need to keep fighting even though I'm tired. I understand that. I understand that tiredness because that's you when you see something for so many years, it's cumulative. And you know, you've, these thoughts are, as I said, they're real things. These experiences are real. They don't, you can't just keep pushing them down. Eventually they will explode like a volcano. And I think that is what's happened in this. I think we're uniquely positioned. Latanya, I have some hope about this particular time and the way that the world also globally now is so focused because for the first you know coming back to COVID for the first time one of the epidemiologists I interviewed said for the first time or worded it in in such a good way and I'm going to relate this back to what our discussion in a moment but he said for the first time in history humans collectively are facing the same enemy COVID-19 is the same enemy so it's brought us together as humanity so it's created a new dynamic in the world and that new dynamic is that all of us are vulnerable COVID doesn't select race or color or wealth or status or country or border everyone is vulnerable so we collectively and the scientists are being the adults in the room by you know cross-pollinating the ideas and trying to whereas the politicians aren't always being like they as adults as they should be but the scientists are to a certain extent are really trying to so we see there and I say that to say the following that because we've had this this unique human experience for the first time in history facing the same enemy and forced people overnight to change the mere fact that things change so quickly overnight means that things can change that you can create a global awareness that creates a change people stayed at home within a month the world was closed down and or overnight, literally, but within a month, the world was closed down and, and still pretty much, you know, it's like everyone's still very aware. So the, the, the point being is that we can make these shifts, but it's also made people think differently. People have had more, people have been so busy in this modern era that they don't think. This has forced people to actually get uncomfortable, think about things more deeply, slow down enough to notice what's going on. So we are in a unique position. We've got the evidence that we can get the world's attention as humans immediately. And we've got the evidence that people are thinking thinking differently now. And we just have to keep that malleability, that changeability up there. You know, one person can affect two people. You and I alone in this conversation will reach a few hundred thousand and which can multiply, multiply, multiply. And the research also shows, if I go back to scientific research, that just a handful of people can affect a few million. So we can we can exponentially keep a conversation going if we make a determined effort to do that. So we need to keep structures in place where we can do that. Parents, you might feel like your kids' summer vacation started way too early if you've been at home together. And now actual summer vacation is here. Well, learning at home doesn't have to stop for summer. And in fact, there's a really fun way to learn at home and help your children build their brains, which will help them develop better stress resilience. KiwiCo. KiwiCo is a science and art subscription box for kids tested by kids. I gave a few boxes to a friend who has two young children and I just love watching their excitement as they learn to build cool things like a disc launcher or learning about physics and inertia. KiwiCo makes education fun which makes the knowledge more sustainable and useful. KiwiCo was created to celebrate kids' natural creativity and curiosity while helping parents who want to bring enriching experiences to their children. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get your first month free on select crates at kiwico.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. So I have a question, another question for you. Why do you think, in terms of this discussion and whatever, why do you think that black women's opinions are dismissed so quickly? 
I don't know. You know, I think one of the hardest things we all in the Institute of Society have become the, the lowest. So you, because even the feminist movement didn't include black women. It was very white. They, they were really actually trying to, I think, you know, say we deserve these rights before even black people. Like, I think they were trying to beat that civil rights thing even so much so that like, it, I think it would have been great had the feminist movement been like all women, you know, then black women would have been included in that. And then maybe we'd have some level. But I think what happened was it was white man, white woman, black man, black woman. And so I think that that structure remains in place. And so that's just it, when it comes up, that's just we're at the bottom. Like it's just in the it's just written that way. They they put it out that way. There are even like black women. It's like celebrities. I think Beyonce did Coachella and then the following year, Ariana Grande or somebody else did it and like tripled the amount of money they made just because she was black that like black women just are at the bottom in all areas. You know, I think it would really be helpful for white women to bring us with them for us to be together as women, because, you know, yes, I am black, but I am woman, you know, and I think we should all go together in this thing. I'll, I'll tell you that that's probably one of the biggest things that white women could do Right now, I have a very dear friend of mine, Jennifer Engelhoven, who we went to school. She was with me as a TA when I was pursuing the Masters of Mathematics in Arkansas. She was a white girl, woman, and we spent a lot of time together and we were studying. So we had classes that we were teaching there, college algebra. And I had this one professor who wasn't giving me the type of information I needed to help me move forward office hours and asked the question about number three or whatever. And he would just repeat to me what he said in class. Well, if I'm coming to you, I'm asking you if you could give me a little bit more than that. Right. I didn't understand what you said in class. And then she would I'd come back into our office that we shared and I'd say, yeah, he just said blah, blah, blah. And I'd tell her what she, he said. And she, I asked that same question and he told me the answer was five. And so it infuriated her. It really did. And she wanted to see, test it out. And so we did a little experiment and we asked, the, went in and I asked the question. And again, I got the same response. And then she like a really another statement about, okay, well, you just do this, you do that. And then you'll be able to get, yeah, you get, and to the, so then she came out this time and she's like, oh my God, it happened again. Like she became my ally in a way that if there was a question that I had, she'd say, what questions do you have? I'll go get the answer for you. I'll go and help get this. This is how we team up and do this thing. If, first of all, let's say this, that is not what our office hours should have been. No, that all. is so wrong. And that needs to be sort of written about. That needs to be made aware of. Oh, but office hours are not the same for her. I just, I think that that was, she realized that it was an, a racial thing. She has separate experiences though. She has biracial children, number one. At the time she was married to a black man and she knew, she was fully aware. I didn't have to explain that that was a, a race. She understood immediately, but I mean, that's a clear example. Well, and she had experienced, so at Walmart, they, when they, when you walk out, if you have like big toilet papers or anything like that in your basket, they may ask you for your receipt as a black person. That's always been my thing. I didn't 
I didn't realize it was a thing that was only happening to me. And she went home. Her husband was telling her like, yeah, they always like swipe my receipt with a little thing and like check and count some stuff. And so she goes, that never happens to me. I, I go to Walmart all the time, you know, same Walmart and everything. And so, you know, she never really said that that didn't happen to him, but it had just never happened to her. So this one day they're together in the store and they're walking out and they get stopped and they're asked for the receipt. And Jennifer's like, you never asked me, like, what is this? And she realized at that moment that it was this black man and who happens to be her husband. It creates for her, while she's white and will never have to experience those things, she knows for sure that these things are true. She's had these so many instances as a white woman that really just sheds light on the facts. And I think being an ally and defending those things, especially like right now, if you're on her Facebook, she is she will go in on anybody that's like telling them that these things are not true or like they don't understand. She goes back and forth right now. And we'll I'm put just, her, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. This is what we need. We need people fighting for us that look like us. I need you to be as angry as I am about the issue. Do something about it. Don't just be angry. Go and say something. Do you, do you remember the incident with Soraya and Alexi? Did, did they tell you about the incident when they were in Whole Foods and they went to buy some stuff and, and Soraya picked up a bottle, I think it was a bottle of wine or something, and how the security guard followed her all the way and outside and asked it and Alexi was fuming. So just, you're just saying this because she's, they didn't, they didn't do anything with Alexi, nothing, they, they questioned Soraya. Alexi was fuming and challenged the security guard and said, you're just saying, doing this because she's black. I mean, that is Justin and Jeff stopped to get an ice cream the other day and they look at Justin, not Jeffrey, you know, like some Jessica married to Ellie, both my, as you both, both my children are married to, to black men. And she'll say that they'll, they'll look at Ellie weird, but not her in certain situations. You know, this is where we got to speak up. Right. Use your privilege. Recognize that you have a privilege. Use it. It's so important for you to use it. We need you as an ally. We need your support. We need you to say, this is not okay. It's, it's, it's one thing for me to say it. It's a whole nother thing for someone, my white friend, to, to stand up for me in front of me and defend me. That's so that's what we need. So we need someone to stand up and say, this is not good enough. Why are you doing this? Why? Just because they're a black person. Why are you doing that? Why are you asking to look in, in Sarai's bag and not mine? You know, it's to challenge that immediately on the spot. That's what you're saying. We've got to do that. I mean, that's the most instinctive thing. Why do people not do that anyway? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really want to know, though. Why are why will people, I think, fear, which is it takes a lot, I think, because you, to step into that space, you have to be willing to give up some things that... It, it may cause you to lose things. It may cause you to lose friends. There may be people who say, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you side with them. And then they don't want to be friends with you. It takes a lot. And I, don't, cause I, and I don't say this lightly to anyone who wants to join the fight. You may have to lose some. I mean, and it'd have to be something you've decided as a person that I think this injustice is big enough for me to lose a couple friends or whatever my status it, it could be a many things that if you speak up for a group of people that is everyone is completely against be prepared for a backlash and if you're not prepared for that, don't just don't do it and and i think that's fair too i think everyone has to protect what they built you built you know a platform for yourself or, or whatever it is that you've built i understand that you've worked hard for that and it may take a lot for you to have to lose any part of that so it's a it's a huge decision to make, I think. And, and, and I don't fault anyone who doesn't. And I think I only make that challenge to anyone who's asking me, what do I do? You know, you can speak up, but be aware. 
<laughs> there may be consequences, you know. I just want to thank you for saying something like that. I mean, that's showing tremendous empathy, which a lot of white privileged people are not showing in this situation. And, it, you know, it's like they're living in the back room. I mean, for, for me, there's just not even a question. I mean, we've had a lot of people this week that have been very angry with, with the stand that we've taken as an organization to support, you know, the, the, the emergency room situation that this is. You know, Justin used the example yesterday in the, in, in the interview that I did with him just this week, where if, if you go into an emergency room, you're sitting there waiting and maybe waiting for hours because they just, you know, you've got a broken arm you've, and then someone comes in covered in blood. Obviously, one rushes out and that's the emergency. At the moment, black lives are the emergency. That's what needs it. doesn't mean that everyone else in the emergency room is not going to get attention. So, you know, and, and, and if, if someone doesn't want to follow me, I'll put myself in that example because I want to pay attention to the bleeding person, then that's really something that they must live within themselves. That's we have to be focusing on the bleeding person, the person who's cut up and broken, because that is where the healing is required. And that's the, the, the so these four, it's just like the easiest decision in the world to make for me when you when you look at it in the right way. When you look at the basic humanity, it's humans. We humans, we we designed for empathy. We're wired for love. And years and years of conditioning of a non-conscious conditioning has has dampened that empathy, that natural empathy. And that's causing damage. That literally causes brain damage to the perpetrator and the perpetrator. So the racist and the person who's the victim of racism, both are suffering brain damage. And I don't think people look at it like that. And that's the teaching I'm going to give. If you're judging someone else by the color of their skin, or if you complaining that, oh, my broken arm's not getting fixed, don't attend to that black person who's full of blood and who's dying, who's having a heart attack or whatever. No, see to me first because I'm white. That's brain damage in your brain. You know, and that's damage not only that to that person who's being hurt, that person whose identity you are damaging by saying take the L away, L, uh, the L A out of Latanya. That's damage in your brain as well as in the per, uh, is, as in Latanya's brain. So we're damaging each other. It's not just a one way street. We're entangled in each other's lives. Quantum physics, you know, the principle of entanglement. We are all in relationship with each other. We all affect each other. Christopher Fuchs, you might know him, the quantum physicist. I quote him all the time. He talks about it's not about you. It's about you in the world. All of us are in the world. We all affect each other. Every time we are racist, not only are we damaging that person that we are being racist against, but we are damaging ourselves. We are damaging the millions of people in this world because it's a, it's the butterfly flick, the chaos. This is all real. We've got to bring science into this for us to see the reality. And that's the role that I commit to doing. Latanya, I commit to keeping this conversation in the forefront and teaching people about the neuroscience and the mind-brain connection of how this is damaging us. And I just want to I'm going to hand over to you to, to for some closing comments, but I want to personally thank you for being so vulnerable. I want to apologize on behalf of myself if I've ever, in, in terms of whites that have been privileged, that have hurt you, that have told you to take the LA out your name. For me, that's representative of this discussion. Telling you to take the LA out of your name, Latanya, for me is is, is kind of sums up this conversation. I apologize for anyone who has made you feel invalidated. And I'm my heart and my and everything, all my empathy goes out in 1000% support of you and your family and everything that I can do to support and help in this fight. I am there fighting with you because I believe in humanity. So I'm going to hand over to you for some closing comments. Well, thank you for that. I need you to know for sure that you and your family, all of your kids, are absolutely what we need in this world to do what we're doing. Your voice, thank you for using your platform 
for getting the message out there. Thank you so much for being open, open to my entire family. We all appreciate you. It's been an amazing connection to have such an ally because when I think of people who I can say I know is on my team, you guys are 100% there. And I really appreciate, I've enjoyed having Alexi here. I enjoyed having Sarai with us too. Yeah, it's just an amazing dynamic that's created from her ability to be vocal and to speak up. I love that she's on Soraya's team. She's a very good teammate to have, especially in the world that we have today. Seeing them together is an amazing thing. This is where we fight the good fight. You know, this is how it gets done. And I think these conversations are necessary. I appreciate you for pushing the agenda. And staying on top of it, and especially for using your platform. And, and I thank you to every, anyone that's listening that has been moved or touched by it. Continue to fight the fight with us. We want a better world for our children, yours and mine. So I thank you again for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm going to put out a, that's beautiful what you just said, and I'm very honored. I'm going to put out a challenge to everyone that Latanya and I are going to put our heads together with our two amazing families. And we're going to think of some ideas and practical, constructive ideas to keep this conversation going. We're going to involve our very deep thinking children, and we're going to put some ideas out there and we'll put that, put those and share those with the world. And we will ask you to bring your ideas to the table as well. Let's keep the flame burning like we do with the Olympic flame. This is another Olympic flame that we can keep burning. So thank you for your time and thank you for being our friend and and big air hugs. (laughs) Love you so much. Thank you so much. It's been amazing. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com. And to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.